It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. He's going to answer 10 of your questions. He's going to talk about security issues. Yes, there's another slide from the Edward Snowden deck. He'll talk about what that all means next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 415. Recorded July 31st, 2013. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 172. Security Now is brought to you by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account, go to ProXPN.com twit and use the code SN20. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones and your privacy online and your security online. And couldn't be a better time to do a show like this, as we've said for the last six years. Steve Gibson's here, the explainer-in-chief from GRC.com. He's a creator of Spinrite, which is uh, is bread and butter for many moons. Now. Is it 20 years now, Steve? 25, my Holy friend. Cow. Holy cow. Yep. Holy cow. Uh, but in the time, you know, because Spinrite's been such a nice little uh, daily earner, he's... Purring. Purring thanks on. Our, also, thanks to our listeners, many mm-hmm. of whom have purchased it just to support. Isn't that uh, nice? Yeah, it really is. It's given him the a little time and uh, to in the inclination, I think, uh, to investigate first spyware. He was the man who coined the term spyware many moons ago when he first discovered it, um, and uh, created the first anti-spyware tool. He's created many other free tools at GRC.com, and for the last four hundred and fifteen weeks. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> We've been talking about uh, security on the show. And, you know, the show's gotten longer and longer and longer because there's been more and more to say. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because we introduced the concept of not trusting your data to the cloud several years ago and coined the term TNO for trust no one. And here we are now. I mean, it's like it's come full circle because... Now we absolutely know with no doubt, and we're getting increasing levels of detail, in fact, that that the government and, and global governments have, have for some time been recording everything that's been done on the Internet. And so it was, there, was a, there was a tweet that went by, and it didn't, it didn't really catch me, but the guy was making he, – he was referring to our – conversation the dialogue we've been having about the whole concept of privacy like you know the notion of well why does it matter if you're not doing something wrong and he said well i don't want a webcam in the bathroom and i thought it's not like you're doing anything wrong in there exactly but i mean there is this notion of of not being watched so is something valuable to just the concept of of not being you know on some weird reality TV show, and it turns out, uh, for as far as the internet goes, that's pretty much the situation. 
Um, just today, this morning, uh, another piece of new information, part of the, the continuing Snowden drip of, of disclosures. <laughs> That's kind of disgusting. <laughs> Can we? Okay. Well, yes. We'll just say that the, the Snowden is melting. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, we have. Anyway, Glenn. And it's funny because he, on the website, it's G-L-E-N-N. And I'm very particular about getting these things right. But I'm sure I've seen it with one N elsewhere. So it's two Ns for everyone who's as crazy about details as I am. Our friend Glenn Greenwald has been saying that there would be additional stuff coming. And when he, and every time interviewed, you know, one of the questions that the talking heads say, well... Do you have more coming? He says, oh, yes. Well, today we learned about X-Keyscore, which is the name of the program uh, from The Guardian. Now, I have to say it continues to ratify the theory we first put forward about what PRISM was. And nomenclature is crazy in all of this. And, in fact... It might have been Bruce in one of his other blog posting, uh, posting, po- postings, Bruce Schneier, who commented that that our intelligence services were using acronyms as obfuscation in order to just confuse the legal system and legislators and also to create this this deniability where they could say, well, is PRISM doing this? And then with a straight face – the the intelligence person could say, no, that prism does not do that because X key score does that or, you know, slimy underworld does that or, you know, whatever their random program names are. So what we have now as of this morning is X is, is a knowledge of and a, on, on, on the on the Guardian's page, there's a link to a scrolling series of slides which are amazing in detail. For example, we now know that there's it's a massive distributed Linux cluster is the is the architecture for this. Um, so what what Glenn and and Snowden disclosed uh, are slides which show that the NSA collects quote in their own words. Nearly everything a user does on the internet. X Keyscore gives widest reaching, in quotes, collection of online data. NSA analysts require no prior authorization for searches. So they can search anything they want to, anytime they want to. And it sweeps up emails, social media activity, and all browsing history. And the word all is like littered throughout this. And it's a little frightening when you see where they're, where they're saying all. Um, so there are presentation training materials that have been posted um, showing really interesting new detail, which is the reason I'm talking about this. this is not the same old stuff. It's like now we're getting more stuff. For example, they use an acronym DNI, which stands for Digital Network Intelligence. And in this in the slide it says DNI exploitation system slash analytic framework performs strong, e.g. email, 
and soft parens content selection provides real time target activity which they refer as they refer to as tipping and then get this rolling buffer of approximately 3 days of all all caps their emphasis unfiltered data seen by x score so this is we've never had this before this is news this says now you know we've talked a lot about the the quantity of information that is passing through these taps which they have and as we'll see in a, in a minute here the architecture as it's being as this onion is being peeled continues to substantiate my notion that this is outside of the of the major cloud service providers because none of this would be necessary if it had their cooperation so this is you know tapping google up just upstream of the data center where the data is raw and so now what we're seeing is that they're they're storing everything that goes through as they refer to it here all unfiltered data on a in a rolling buffer which you know again that's if they said steve we want you to design something for us this is the way you do it this is this is how a computer science person would tackle the problem of too much data coming through to store it all yet you need to be able to look back in time to perform searches so so the raw data is essentially in a big scrolling buffer where you always have the most recent three days. About, about after three days, you start losing it off the end of the buffer as new data comes in because you just run out of your short-term buffer space. Um, so they, it says stores what they call full take, a full hyphen and take. So that's, that's their jargon for you know, everything, full take data at the collection site, which is then indexed by metadata. So as this as this all pours in, they're, they're pulling metadata from it, which are email, and actually they enumerate those in a minute, email addresses, phone numbers, names, you know, like sort of formatted um, keyword searching on the raw data which is then indexed on the fly, allowing them to then do queries against the metadata and then within, within this three-day period to extract from, from this the buffer of the so-called full take data specifically what they want. And then says provides a series of viewers for common data types. And once again, that's exactly what you'd expect. They'll have an email viewer. They'll have a chat dialogue viewer they'll have you know nntp viewer they'll have these viewers which know how to take which know how to format the raw data which has been just sucked up in mass out of the stream and presented in a in a sane format they'll have an http viewer for example something that knows how to reconstruct the web page just as a web browser does from the raw data and also to show the the web page metadata, the query and the response headers. Then they, they call this also a federated query system, 
where one query scans all sites. Now, this is also amazing because amid these slides is a picture of the world showing red spots wherever the NSA has planted one of these one of these facilities and it's in more than 150 sites with more than 700 servers literally all over the globe and so what we're saying is that they are they're tapping major data feeds in all of these locations and then this federated query system allows an analyst presumably sitting somewhere in Virginia or wherever. Apparently, Snowden was able to do it in his little bungalow in Hawaii um, to insert a query into the system, which then goes globally. And, and then all of the databases in all of these systems around the world are in this federated query system are simultaneously asked for matches. And so under federated query system, it says one query scans all sites, performing full take, allows analysts to find targets that were previously unknown by mining the metadata. So as this bulk of data goes by, it is being examined and metadata extracted from it and stored separately from this so-called rolling buffer of three days of everything. So under a slide called system details, they say massive distributed Linux cluster over 500 servers distributed around the world. Elsewhere, they say 700. System can scale linearly. Simply add a new server to the cluster. And then also under system details, they said federated query mechanism, which we just talked about. Then they talk about the analysis plugins. So they ha and these are these so-called I, I would call them semantic analysis, where they need to extract the meaning from the raw data. I remember Leo, when we just after we finished the first podcast, you switched over to this week in Google, and and Gina had a problem with this notion that you that you could get meaning from the stream and. And the the way, of course, you do that is 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 exactly like this. You you the the stream itself is raw data, but it's only because a web browser expects the format to be something that it's able to show it to you as a web page or an SMTP reader, a new a, a an email system expects the format to be email that it knows how to show it to you. So it is it's it's only a tiny step further to and, and at, well to look at the raw data and any human can do this we do this all the time when we're do like doing packet sniffing um, on on the raw wire you can you can see like what the headers are and the way it's formatted it's like oh these are email headers oh these are http headers oh these are you know news news group headers or or chat format so the idea is you you start with the raw stream, you apply a, a simple heuristic recognizer to it to determine what type of stream this is, and then you say, oh, 
you recognize what it is, and then you apply one of these plugins to format it for for full recognition. So they say email addresses indexes every email address seen in a session both by username and domain. Extracted files indexes every file seen in a session both by file name and extension. HTTP parser indexes the client-side HTTP traffic. Phone number indexes every phone number seen in a session. And it says they have in parens, e.g., address book entries or signature block. So, for example, when email goes by with a signature block in it, bang, it locks onto that and indexes phone numbers and, and the metadata in the signature block. User activity indexes the webmail and chat activity to include username, buddy list, machine-specific cookies, etc. So, you know, more data is coming out. If anyone's interested, this is all over the news now. So you could go to, you know, the guardian.uk.co or co.uk rather um, and and track this down. Uh, and there's a long article where Glenn pulls this apart and and essentially parses what new has been learned from this. And, you know, it is it is additional details um, that are a little chilling about the the scope of this project. <sighs> yeah. yeah. You know, I want to raise one point, which uh, uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, do. Maybe, do. This, maybe this is uh, a little conspiracy theory-minded. Uh it, it is in the strong interest of uh, the NSA and the, and the U.S. government to have terrorists believe that they know everything, right? And I'm often puzzled. It's, in some ways, they claim capabilities far, far beyond those we know to be possible, like decrypting uh, uh, strongly encrypted uh, stuff. I'm wondering uh, if some of this is merely disinformation. They, we mentioned this last week as the panopticon theory. That the watchers would love it if all the watched believed that the watchers could see everything. So there is a there, you know, the truth is that the NSA gains by all this information. The the I don't I I don't know I I really think that our intelligence system has taken a huge hit. I mean, this has hurt the intelligence community. This is not – in no way is this good for them. Okay. I I, I really – I really think – I mean, I know I feel differently. It's it's one thing to sort of suspect, oh, well, maybe this is going on. And something else, just have the dirty laundry aired like this. I mean, this is – this leaves no one any doubt. And, and, you know, these are – it's not like this was leaked – like oh whoops you know we didn't we gave this to a senator and we didn't intend for him to let his staff fax it to, yeah that would be the easy Post. way to do that yeah yeah i mean this truly was i mean th- th- you know this really was a bad guy well i don't mean a bad guy a a a person who who broke a bad guy only his, in the in the belief of the department of justice let's put yeah, it yeah as i said i'm i'm not unhappy that this has come out because there's no way this is not going to force a seriously necessary reexamination of yeah. the system that we had put in place post 9/11 and it may well be as i said last week we may just end up saying well that's the price we have to pay of 
of having the surveillance that we need in order to deal with the asymmetric warfare, which is the nature of terrorism. And so be it. You know, well, these things. That, uh, ex- isn't that exactly what happened a couple of days ago in the the House when they uh, overturned the defunding of the phone uh, taps? Yeah, but it was it was a close. It was close. Yeah, I was, was close. very I was very surprised yeah. that it was you know two fifteen to two ten or something like that. It's like wow, that really surprised me. Yeah, that yeah, uh, pulling the funding. However, out of- the will the will does not yet exist to to uh, stop this. No, and, and I think it makes sense and, because you don't want to be the representative who voted to stop it, and then there's a terrorist uh, attack, and uh, and and you look like you're the guy who made it possible. Yeah, I, I I don't think blanket defunding was the solution, which is why I said last week that I thought this would this vote was coming up too soon. Right. It, it takes you know these wheels do not turn slowly, and and it is all politics and. You know, I don't have any. I mean, I'm just as as an observer. I was like, well, we'll report what we know, and we'll see how the cookies crumble. And you know, it's like it is what it is. I have no no power to change it one way or the other. My interest is in the technology, which I think is fascinating and interesting, and and also in in you know finding that the technology driven line where okay. Email is probably not encrypted as it comes and goes, but web services increasingly are. So what does that mean? And, you know, and then we find out last week that there is, in fact, pressure to turn over the, the private keys of web servers so that they can decrypt because, as we would expect, increasingly web traffic is encrypted. So, you know, that, that's where I think our proper place is rather than, you know, taking a position i i just i right. i have no interest in taking a position because nothing i can do about it it's, it's, well you'll be you know. pleased to know i get i'm getting now a, f- a fairly steady volume of people testing out their pgp keys and uh, saying is this encrypted is, is it working and i uh, i do i do respond to everybody my pgp key is uh if you want to get the key is available at leoville my web, personal website leoville.com well, we, we end we end this podcast with a couple of PGP-related questions because it will take us into next good. week, which is going to be all about PGP. Good, 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 good. Okay. Now this is not at all, this is not at all <laughs> security-related, but I just, I just sort of shook my head when I saw this. It's like, oh, you're kidding me. You know, we all know how Microsoft named their new OS Metro, and then turns out they didn't have trademark rights to Metro. Well, they just lost the lawsuit on SkyDrive. <laughs> <laughs> After all, all holy the, cow! Can you believe it? After all the time and energy they put into it, uh, so the uh, the, uh, the the uh, uh, BBC posts one month after a British court. Ruled that Microsoft SkyDrive infringed, I know, it's unbelievable, Leo, infringed on a British Sky Broadcasting Group trademark. Microsoft has decided not to appeal and will find a new name for its cloud storage service. Wow. You know, they're paying their attorneys too much for patents and not enough for trademarks, apparently. It's like... Microsoft get a clue. <laughs> British Sky Broadcasting offered an online storage service 
called Sky, Store, and Share between 2008 and 2011. And really? it has tra- really? and it has <laughs> trademarks such as Sky Plus, Sky Digital, <sighs> Sky Broadband, Sky Go, Sky Mobile. They own Sky, Sky huh? Yeah, and Sky Photos. And so Microsoft tried to get Sky Drive, and they said no. The press release quotes... Uh, uh, I'm actually the, feeling sorry for Microsoft, to be honest. British Sky Broadcasting saying, quote, We are pleased to have reached a settlement after Microsoft agreed not to appeal the trademark infringement judgment in relation to its Sky Drive service. We will remain vigilant in protecting the Sky brand and will continue to take appropriate action against those companies who seek to use our trademark without consent. Now, of course, we know Microsoft would have been every bit as as crazed if anyone called Windows something, Windows yeah. this or oh, Windows yeah. that. They would oh, have yeah. stomped the crap out of them yeah. in a heartbeat. So it's like, but, you know, come on, Microsoft. you know, Do your homework. So I just wanted to let our users know SkyDrive, what happened is there was an undisclosed payment uh, made. Oops. And Microsoft has been allowed to continue using the name while they phase in uh-huh. their replacement name. Wow. So they're going to have to go find one. It's like, oh. It is I- tough nowadays. I remember even back in 1994 uh, when we were trying to, um, or 95, create the site for MSNBC, mm-hmm. they needed a name that hadn't been used, wasn't trademarked, and had a .com that they could use, yep. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's 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 getting harder. It seems like yeah. Really that's why the, that's why you know people wonder why all the baby talk names with uh, new startups. Now you know because you can't use a real word. Uh, they've all been taken. Yeah. So you know uh, Microsoft's going to call it Ishkabibble or something, and uh, <laughs> and we'll all get well, used hey, to Leo, it. Hey, Leo, that's been taken. Yeah, it has actually. Okay. That's, 1920s uh, movie star. And, and you just <clears> said it. <laughs> I own it now, baby. Yeah. Prior I mean, art. Yeah. It, I mean, it is the case. I know that when I've been looking for uh, product names and 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 associated domains, I've kept it quite close to the chest until yeah. I, yeah. until I, you know, nailed it down. It's because kind of amazing. Yeah, it's, it is crazy. So um, in crypto-related news... Some researchers in the UK and the Netherlands cracked the crypto, uh, and unfortunately, it's an RFID standard known as Negamos, or I'm sorry, Megamos, 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 maybe crypto, which is used by a whole slew of Volkswagen-owned luxury car uh, makes and others. They gave they they gave Volkswagen and companies. Nine months prior notice that they were going to uh, ex- explain what the problem was. And this was going to be a paper presented next month at the Usenix Security Symposium. And it got stomped on a couple of days ago by a judge. Uh, the BBC reported that the researchers said they'd obtained a software program from the Internet which contained the algorithm devised by a defense company, Thales, to provide the security feature. 
They said it had been on the net since 2009. No. So they discovered a weakness in the code which had been published on the Internet showing that it could be compromised and added that there was a strong public interest that the information be disclosed to ensure the program the problem was addressed. However, VW and Thales argued that the algorithm was itself was confidential information. Well, once again, even though it had been on the internet since 2009. And Whoever had released it on the net had probably done so illegally. Therefore, they said, there was good reason to believe that criminal gangs would try to take advantage of the revelation in the academic paper that was going to be released to steal vehicles. The researchers argued that this risk was overblown since car thieves would need to run a computer program for about two days to make use of the exploit in each case. So the, so this was a brute force crack against a, a specific instance of the RID crypto used on a given car. You know, which still doesn't mitigate. I mean, if this is a Lamborghini, and by the way, that was one of the brands. <laughs> it, was, it was very high-end cars. It wasn't cheap cars. No, no, no. Um, and so they said that removing the sections... So, so first they first it was asked if they could redact their paper to remove like the how too to. much information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and like the real. Well, I, actually, what I first read this was a couple of weeks ago was the codes themselves. They wanted to say here's a code of some sort, and I don't know how that would be generally useful. I didn't dig dig all the way in because I f- figured this something like this was going to happen. Yeah. They said that removing the sections, which VW and Thales. Wanted expunged. I think it's would mean Tali's, that, by the way. Or oh, Tali? Tali's, oh. yeah. Okay, thank you. Would mean their paper would have to be peer-reviewed a second time, and they would miss their slot at the conference as a consequence. And they argued that their right to publish was covered by freedom of speech safeguards in the European Convention on Human Rights. However, the judge ruled that pending a full trial... The details should be withheld. This is really security through obscurity. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. <laughs> Tom uh, Ota, an associate at the law firm um, Bristow's, uh, which is not in any way involved in the case, said that the way the researchers discovered the flaw proved their undoing. He said an important factor here was that the academics had not obtained the software from a, legi- a legitimate source having downloaded it from an unauthorized website. This persuaded the court, he said, that the underlying algorithm was confidential in nature and bearing in mind the public interest of not having security flaws potentially abused by criminal gangs led to the injunction. So, eh, I mean, this is what the law helps us do in these cases or a judge is trying to judge is, you know, where the public interest falls. And, I, I, you know, without knowing more fully, uh, the, the problem with nine months disclosure in this case is it's not like, you know, Microsoft or, or Sun with Java or Adobe with Flash where they can 
fix it and push out an update and hold their breath that it'll actually happen. I mean, unfortunately, the Lamborghini has left the showroom and it's got flawed crypto. Now, what we do know, and the gangs know it now too, the bad guys know it, is this crypto is weak in some fashion. And there are lots of other smart people out there. So, so I don't know at what level you can, you know, fix the algorithm. It's probably embedded in silicon, not flashable, right. not updatable. So now you've got all these very high-end cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that are protected. I mean, and, and this is... This is open. This is unlock the doors and start the engines. I mean, this is full enablement of the car when when you crack this. So this is not you know like you can tweak where the mirror is pointed. This is you can get in and drive away. Wow. Whoops. Wow. 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 Do they have a list of the uh, all the makes? Yeah, I saw them. I, I there are several articles about this, and and I mean it is a who's who. Of high, like Porsche, Lamborghini, and yeah. and a bunch of others. It's like, but Volkswagen not, makes the uh, software, or uh, Volkswagen is the parent company of a lot of these. Ah. they've sort of been purchasing them. They quietly. own Porsche, right? Yeah, yeah, and Lamborghini. Lamborghini. Apparently. I don't know if Audis. I want to know because I'm about to buy an Audi. Audi. I don't think I saw Audi on that list. No. And by the way, Audi's really, they've really got their act together, Leo. I'm very impressed with what Audi's been doing lately. Come up and take a ride when mine comes. I think it makes a great, you you mentioned this before, and I thought, ah, that's a smart. I may actually drive down to see you. I have to do something with the thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get mine pre-hacked. No, the uh, good news is that I'm getting a 2014 model, so I'm hoping <laughs> that they will they'll not the use Tollies, <laughs> or they'll update it. Not the latest updates. Yes. <laughs> oh, criminally. Oh, Holy moly. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm happily driving an 01. Yeah. Yeah, with a key, with a physical key. Physical key, yeah. So, following up on last week's ridiculous DHS email, I got many very good comments from people in the defense industry who understand this more than the common man would only because they're subjected to the inanity of it. Um, And it's funny too, because I have two, the email coming in sorts into two folders, anonymous and not. And we know that you know, it's nice to, as we're reading the Q&A, we like to say, oh, you know, Scott Wilson from, you know, wherever he is, said this. It just sort of humanizes it more. But I, as I was closing the folders, and, and as a consequence, I tend to pull from those. But as I was closing them before shutting down my email client in order to clean things up for the podcast, I looked in the anonymous folder. And that's where all of the reports about the DHS email were. That is to say, anonymously submitted to me rather than, uh, you know, uh, not so. Makes anyway, sense. makes sense. Many, many of them said different things summarized by this one. So I just pulled one from it. Um, and he used the initials CC, and he's in Northern Virginia, is all he wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Steve, even though the Snowden documents are publicly available, they are still classified. 
Okay, so I mean, some of this still seems odd, but this is the, this, this is, is how the, it you, works. Yeah, this is how it works. Even though the Snowden documents are publicly available, they are still classified. I work as a contractor to a government agency, not the NSA, and we are also forbidden from even doing a search on the word Snowden. Wow. That's ridiculous. Uh, Can they do it at home or only on government? It sounded like in that memo you couldn't even do it at home. The machine, you're right, the machine at home would have its classification level raised (laughs) if it received the document. And presumably if the web browser displayed what was classified. Right. So going on, CC says, until the president or someone in authority declassifies a document, it can only be viewed on a device that is cleared for the same classification as the document itself. Viewing any top secret document, even one that is publicly available due to a leak on an unclassified computer is called spillage. Yeah. The system receiving the spillage remains at the classification level of the document until it is sufficiently scrubbed and it must be immediately disconnected from an unclassified network. The DHS memo may seem stupid, <laughs> may, but it is a standard policy Just that how all contracts yeah. Yes, that all contractors and government agencies are required to comply with or face very stiff penalties. Availability does not modify the classification right. of the document. I believe I got a similar emails from a number of people, one of whom said the originator of the document is the only one who can declassify it. So you probably uh, don't want to really reveal <laughs> who you are. Uh, also, we have uh, somebody in the chat room who says he's a government contractor and he cannot look at them on his home computer either. He can't make those searches either. So if you're a government contractor, you're, you're, you're really enjoined from doing anything looking into this at all. Wow. I suppose you can't go to WikiLeaks. I mean, the whole thing keeps, in a way, keeps our uh, government in the dark. Yeah. They can't, they can't find out about this stuff. Several people did explain in longer email that was really too long for the podcast, actually, why it is this way and, and why it's as rigid as it is. And that it, that it cannot, you just, you can't make exceptions. You have to have it this way. If, if it, if it's it chain starts, of command stuff, you got to do it yes, this way. I understand. Yes. If it becomes soft and porous, yeah. then the whole system, yeah. the whole system crumbles yeah. and collapses. So I do understand. Yeah. Okay. Now in this, we're into miscellany. We only have one topic in miscellany. And this is one of those things where I just wish... Okay. In, hey, what in, if you read it in a newspaper? I mean, what if you got The Guardian and you saw it in The Guardian? Don't think it matters. I guess that's okay. Because they can't get it legitimately. Yeah, right. You know, that's it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. So, sorry. So this is another juicy Kickstarter item that makes me wish... I don't know what. There was more of me. I had multiple me's. Actually, that's one thing that is introduced in The Void. Um, the notion of multiple people, multiple bodies in a single brain. I guess that wouldn't work. 
I don't know. Multiple anyway. bodies in a single brain. Um, so <laughs> could be problematic. So that's very handy. <laughs> turns out. Um, okay, this just you. Oh, this is just. Oh my God! Do I wish I had time to play with this? It is too cool. Um, if you Google hack RF, all one word, H A C K R F, you will find Michael Osman, who has been working with so-called SDRs, software-defined radios. Almost all and, ham radios are currently software-defined. By the oh, way. Leo, and in his blog, he explains it. He says. I'd like to take a moment to properly introduce the project that is consuming most of my time this year, Hack RF, a software radio peripheral. So this is a, a gorgeous-looking little surface mount technology circuit board with an RF connector and a USB Plug. So you plug this thing into your computer. A reminder, you need an amateur radio license to transmit on these things. Oh, well. <laughs> That's going to, there, there it goes. Shot to hell. <laughs> so wow. it says software radio or software defined radio, SDR. And get this, I love his analogy, is the application of digital signal processing, DSP, yeah. to radio waveforms. It is analogous to the software-based digital audio techniques that became popular a couple of decades ago. Just like a sound card in a computer digitizes audio waveforms, a software radio peripheral digitizes radio waveforms. It's like a very fast sound card mm -hmm. with the speaker and microphone replaced by an antenna. Here's a clip of him showing this on Hack 5 to, to uh, a, Darren yes. Kitchen, Yeah, A single software radio platform can be used, and this is what I love, to implement virtually any wireless technology, right. Bluetooth, GSM, Zigbee, etc. You'd have to have the stacks on top, though. Merely being able to do the frequencies... Well, and Not everything, this has actually been churning along, as I'm sure you know, for many years now. And there is, all of this is open source. All of right. this is, is freely available. So this is, the, this is the hardware end, and then the software end. And I mean, I've seen pictures of this where just beautiful looking, gooey, gooey instrumentation where you're like looking at the whole spectrum of everything coming in on the antenna. And then you're able to like zoom in on it and you know and and find specific things and then decode it oh it's just i wait. have you know over here in my ham shack a very expensive it's something like ten thousand dollar icom high frequency ham uh radio it's a receiver you know transmitter receiver um and it's you know i i was told by the icom guy it's basically all software there's nowadays yeah. uh it's cra you'd be crazy to do it all in ics yep. do it in software so, you so as quickly as you can, you you digitize the incoming signal, and then from then on, you just handle it in a DSP, yeah, in yeah. digital signal processing. Yeah. That's how and all so for, modern ham stuff is done as well. Yeah, and this is so. Then anyway, this is a two hundred dollar project. He has several successful Kickstarter projects in his past. Remember, remember that that wacky throwing star, uh, <laughs> network. Yeah, cap? that was him. That was that was him. <laughs> 
Yep. <laughs> that one got funded, didn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is well on its way to be. So, yeah, so here's anyway, the, I don't here's know if we... the, uh, the, the icon that I was talking about, which is the... Uh, actually, this is the 7600. I have a little higher level. Dual DSP for transmitter, receiver, and spectrum scope. 32-bit DSPs. Uh, That's, I mean, it's all done in those DSPs, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, they, there's other stuff, obviously, you know, filters and so forth. Um, but it's all done in software now. It's funny, too, because a lot of the, the current music synthesis is they'll give you a keyboard with knobs, but the knobs, all, all they are is like, you know, digitizers that go to the board <laughs> and everything is digital. You know, the fact that it's a knob is just because that's a convenient user interface to people. And they go to 11. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because they're, they're extra. <laughs> Do you, why, would you like the, the one that the knobs that go to 10 or yeah. the extra? Extra. The yeah. funny thing is when, uh, when uh, uh, Ray Novak from ICOM came over to install it, uh, he put in some additional modules. You can buy modules that oh, will give them, oh, oh. you know, a diff- additional Super, extra extra yeah. features. And it's just yeah. it's just so- <laughs> it's more oh, software. That <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> we're moving from the analog to the digital world, and uh, and that's how it is. You know, yep. <sighs> okay, Leo. Yes. Do, you, do I look a little tan to you? A little. You brown? look good. You look it's, like you've been. Where, where'd you go? Hawaii? What you? T- I walked fact, seventeen I, miles yesterday <laughs> with my Kindle. <laughs> Why? Because I can't stop reading the Void trilogy. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I have. You been mentioned last week that you picked this up. Yeah, I picked it up, and then I, and I tried to, I tried to put it down and work on Spinrite, but then I just normally when I'm reading, I get to a point where it's like, okay, I'm kind of like, you know, you get kind of get tired of reading for a while. I don't. I'm not. I haven't reached any point like that. So then I gave up. On Spinrite. Not forever. Um, I'm now at 40. As of last night, I'm a few pages past 45% of the third wow. book. Holy I cow. Oh, no. That's all no I've been doing. No wonder you walk 17 miles. <laughs> yeah, and that's, a trilo- that, that's a long-ass trilogy. It is a monster. But, oh, <laughs> my God. I'm taking the wraps off of any reservations I had about recommending this. You absolutely have to read the first two. This is really it's better. Is this to the one say, I'm trying to remember the story. Is this Ozzy going around? What is what is the story here? No. Um, so 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 I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So it is better to think of this as a quintology, where <laughs> it, I mean, really, I mean, I'm just and and okay, a quintology where Pandora Star is the first yeah, one. Yeah. And Judas Unchained is the second one, right? Which we that, loved. I remember that. That's that. where yeah. we're introduced yeah. to, to to Nigel Sheldon and right. Ozzy right. and Paul Amayo, the investigator, right. and Oscar Monroe and the Guardians and the Prime Intelligence that evolves differently than than organic people do. And, oh, I mean, all love this fabulous. Prime. I mean, love the Prime. That, They're the worst villains fabulous. ever. Yes. yes, and so that's the first two books. Yeah. So, so I was a little put off by this notion of a dreaming void. It seemed a little too, I don't know. Anyway, it's not. It is fabulous. <laughs> so I'm and just looking is- at the audible lengths for these, and you have read now, the first book's 22 hours, second book, you know, from a reader who's reading probably a little slower than you because he's speaking it out loud, second's 25 hours, so that's... 
47 hours, and you've said halfway through the next one. You've read 50, 57 hours worth of content here. And I am, I am so glad. It is so full of just, I mean, just thrilling parts. When I was, I was finishing the first one, and I was out in the park. I have, we have a park nearby, which is why I'm getting the sun, because I just want to check. After, you know, five hours in one place, I want to go somewhere else to keep reading. And and I seriously considered getting Peter to read the end of the first book to us. Uh, he would. Uh, he, we, he and I oh. have been in touch. Oh, you know him. Peter F. Hamilton? Well, yeah. Can you arrange and- an interview with him on triangulation? <laughs> Anyway, Let me so introduce us by email, would you? Okay. We, I mean, look, we've probably sold a few books for him by this point. Oh, that, that's that's how he, he tracked me down. He said, Steve, <laughs> thank you for loving my books. I said, well, what choice do I have? They're fantastic. <laughs> it's not just him. But it's not just they, him. <laughs> they are. It is storytelling, Leo. It he is, is a wonderful it, writer. It is and that's world-class yeah, story. That's what makes this it, stuff so good is that oh my God. he's I mean, got a great imagination, it, but he can write. Deep characterization. Also, there is there there's there is very and there amazing insight into the nature of human politics in this. Um there's there uh, I just I, I, anyway if if anyone loved you, you you cannot read these without reading first the first two of the so-called commonwealth he creates this notion of a commonwealth which is you know our future and and that is established in in pandora star and judas unchained which are themselves fabulous sci-fi but it doesn't stop you have to continue because everybody's back paula's back uh, the Sylphan paths and the Sylphan mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. Bradley's back and and Oscar and we're on our way right now to go visit Ozzy. We're not we're not sure. What's oh, gonna I, I do remember this. Yeah, I've read all of these. I'm just there's so many of them. Yeah, that I. And, it, but and, it does all fit and, together, doesn't it? Even Great go, North Road, which I'm reading now, fits into this. And this weird void. We learn yeah. what that's about yeah. and why it's a problem and that it's a. Oh, anyway, oh, <laughs> it is. Anyway, so I just, I just, I gave up. I, it is consuming my life. I, I eat, I sleep, and I read this mostly now because I'm desperate to get back to Spinrite. I mean, I'm, I, I. Oh absolutely- come on! You're not abandoning Spinrite for this, completely. <laughs> I have no. I, Dude, I have you no got control. a job to do. <laughs> I have no control over it, Leo. It's, it's, I can't. I can't. Where I was with Spinrite requires a hundred percent of my concentration for the to take us to the next phase, and oh, I was dear. unable to split myself. So I am reading about eighteen hours a day. At least you're doing That's, that. You're getting through it. Oh no, I'll be done. I'll be done. Here we are, Wednesday, and I'm not getting much reading done. I'm talking to you right now. But all of Monday, all of Tuesday, all of Saturday and Sunday, all of the end of last week, basically, it just took over. And I'll be done in two more days because I'm I, I can do twenty percent per day. I started book three on Monday and read, and now at the end of Tuesday I was at forty five percent. So two more days I'll be done. I just I'm gonna I can't, I have to finish it. Then I'll be back hundred percent on Spinrite. So it just I I never take a vacation. I I work seven days a week on Spinrite. So it's like okay, 
I, I had a forced vacation. I just didn't have any choice. I this it is too good. It is. I mean, people look at me strangely because I'll like exclaim something. Where was I? And people, oh, I was I was outside yeah uh, yesterday afternoon or and, and giggling. And they're like, why is that guy giggling? Because it's just it's it's so good. So uh, unreserved recommendation not just kindle by the way and uh i should mention also audible uh, has a good selection of them all including this trilogy yeah yeah Yeah, by all means and and i'm not that's how i listened it's much easier for me they're too long i can't i'm not picking up the great north road i it's sitting there in the kindle i'm not gonna start i'm gonna go back to spin right and get this next major rev done and my treat will be picking up the great north road i tweeted yesterday when i was at i think i was at 30 percent and I just had to tweet because it was like, oh, my God, this is so good. I mean, it's just incredibly good. And I got back some some responses saying that the Great North Road was as good. So it's like, OK, I've got I have something to to work for when six one is released. Then I'm going to then I will pick up the Great North Road. I'm not, not sure that you'll like it as well. It's uh, it's a mystery, you know. It's more of a mystery novel than anything else. I just he is just oh my god, hat off to to him. Really good writer, beautiful it's, writer. It's it is inc- it is world class storytelling. I yeah. just I I apparently I'm he's stunned. doing it. I was looking at his webpage, which is peterfhamilton.co.uk, and he's doing a children's yep. book right now. He is, and he, but he also has two more the, in the Commonwealth. Yeah, We're going to yeah, get this Commonwealth yeah. uh, continued also. He's smart because he's really created a very rich universe, and there's a lot oh. of material to be mined there. You might as well, well just stay there. I, I love it, too, because, I mean, you know, each each of these different authors creates a universe, of you know, that they that right. they work in. And and so, you know, like the, the, uh, the, the Honor Harrington universe was, you know, Weber's universe had – the 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 set of technologies that they are then faithful to right and and in in hamilton's they have they've they have the so-called td transdimensional links and it's a little unnerving that no matter where you are anywhere you can have a real-time conversation so you have to kind of get used to that it's like oh okay you know because for example i just came from where was i oh it, it was the it was the uh Alastair Reynolds, um, where they where they had deep the notion of deep time, where they had never broken the light barrier, whereas now we have both hyperdrive and ultradrive over in Hamilton's universe. So you know, they, where, where they talk in terms of light, how, like forty five light years per hour is the rate at which they can travel. So you know, they're they're super hyperluminal speeds, and but also instantaneous communication and so they're just opening up links to each other across the galaxies like whoa okay but again it all you know so that's the universe he created and he's absolutely faithful to it but oh just just fabulous storytelling that's that's how i would have to summarize it just i just i'm just and, and you you like you see something building, and you go, "Oh, please, 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 please!" And then it happens just like you want it to. It's like, "Oh, yes! Oh, 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 wow!" Okay, I'm exhausted. Okay, enough. Yeah, um, I do. I do have a very nice note from a Brian H. in Omaha, Nebraska, 
referring to Spinrite, uh, the Spinrite we have today. He said, several years ago, I worked for a company whose IT shop rolled out whole drive encryption to all desktops and laptops and USB devices, he says, parens, until one exec got his iPod scrambled. <laughs> so then they decided, oops, we're going to back off on that apparently. He said, a colleague of mine was having issues that caused his machine to run slow, then blue screen. I told him about Spinrite, but we were required to go through the normal IT processes for any software touching our machines. They told him that the hard drive was a total loss. I said, then why not try Spinrite? They swore it wouldn't work due to the whole drive encryption. After much debate, where I told them Spinrite doesn't care, they decided to humor me and try it. After less than a day of Spinrite's processing, it was still cranking away, but I suggested noting where it was and rebooting the system anyway to see if it had fixed enough. It had, and the system rebooted normally, worked perfectly, my colleague got all of his relevant data back, and they replaced the hard drive. Moral of the story, Spinrite sounded too good to be true to everyone in IT, but we know better. So, thank you, Brian. Yay. We're going to take a break. We've got questions from yes. Mr. G. But before we do that, I've got an answer for those who are wondering, how do I keep myself safe and secure in the post-NSA era when I go online? And, uh, Steve, you've mentioned it many times. Uh, OpenVPN is is the solution. Uh, that is a open source uh, project that uh, encrypts your traffic, creates a virtual private network. So that it's whenever a great, it's a great VPN, but you need it to hook to something. Well, yeah, you need a server. Yep. And uh, you could run your own uh, OpenVPN server. I remember you setting. I remember when you tearing your hair out. You had hair back then. Actually, I, yeah, I have open VPN servers uh, here and at 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 our at our facility. Yeah. It is the it is the right VPN. It's challenging though to set up. Oh boy, uh, a lot of folks uh, can't set up servers. Uh, their ISPs prevent it. Even Google, most recently, we just found this out, is preventing people from running servers on uh, the Google Gigabit fiber. But there is a solution, a very good solution, uh, called ProXPN. Steve's checked it out. And it gives it his uh, approval, his seal of Steve Gibson approval. Uh, it is an XP open uh, a VPN a solution, Pro XPN. I know that's a little confusing. Um, a virtual private network. What does that mean? What well, means that your traffic is encrypted from your computer all the way out to their server, where it then has to, you know, you have to at some point emerge onto the public internet. Um, and this this allows you to do that. And their servers, I might point out. Are all over the world. There's Dallas, Seattle, London, Singapore, L.A., New York City, and Amsterdam. That means from the point of view of the outside world, you could be in any of those cities. Uh, which is nice, for instance, if you want to bypass geographic restrictions on software. If your internet service provider is snooping on you or perhaps implementing six strikes, you can just effectively eliminate it because they can't see what you're doing. It goes all the way to the ProXPN servers. Their software for Windows and Mac allows advanced controls, means you can select the programs and ports you want to anonymously route through ProXPN servers. They also work with your iOS or Android device because they often offer uh, 
PPTP, point-to-point tunneling protocol. Not as good as VPN, but uh, on some of these mobile devices, you don't have the choice. Increasingly, though, we're seeing OpenVPN on uh, portable devices. Android now has it. Uh, Many Android phones now have it. World-class customer support and a money-back guarantee. So here's the deal. You could try it for free. They do have a free solution. But I recommend the, the paid version. Uh, nine ninety five a month, seventy four dollars and ninety five cents for the entire year. But with our special offer, it's going to cost you as little as five bucks a month. When you use the offer code SN twenty, you'll get twenty percent off, not for the first month or the first year, but for the lifetime of your Pro XPN account. You can cancel within seven days for a full refund, so you're you're not stuck here. I would just suggest running over to proxpn.com slash twit. Use the offer code SN for security now, 2-0 for 20% off. SN, 2-0, you'll get 20% off for the life of your account. All your transmission, all of your internet activity will be encrypted coming out of your computer, whether you're at a hotel, an open Wi-Fi access point, or even at home. And uh, that means you're protected, you're secure, you're safe, you're private, you're uh, somewhat anonymous as well. It's not like Tor, but it is. it does protect your... Uh, Anonymity from your internet service provider, for instance. ProXPN.com slash twit. Enter the offer code SN20 for 20% off for the life of your account. Good timing for ProXPN, I got to admit. Uh, Steve, we got questions. You got answers? Yay, you bet. All right, let me uh, pop up the The uh, last day of July. Golly, how did that happen? Yeah. We're almost What's to the What's the weather fall. been like up there? We're having this weird, it's like, cloudy, never really got foggy. to be summer. Yeah. yeah. We had a very hot two weeks, or three. Really, really hot. And then uh, then we're doing what you're doing, which is it's just kind of odd. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, when this, I'm happy because when the fall gets here, I'm going to Europe. <laughs> oh, cool. so, September. And I should tell you, I don't know if I've told you, I'll be out of uh, the... Studio September 17th through October 8th, but we will have somebody wonderful hosting your shows. Probably Ayaz. Yeah, Ayaz is great. Yeah. I know that Tom Tom's now down Tom here. Tom may do so, some, yeah. too. We don't know. We haven't IS, figured that out. IS, yeah. Oh, okay. <sighs> Actually, probably Lisa has, but I I don't know because I, I just kind of... Yeah, you haven't been told yet. I roll in here and say, what, uh, what do I, I do next? <laughs> point Where me, do I go? Point Where me do I at stand? the right <laughs> microphone. Where do, Where do I stand? Question one, Barry Ball, Woodstock, Ontario... Canada has some thoughts on Lava Bit. We were talking about Lava Bit. I even signed up before I heard you talking about it. Steve, I love the show, blah, blah, blah. My favorite of a dozen podcasts I listen to, blah, blah, blah. Especially love the Propeller Hat episodes, blah, blah, blah. Love Spinrite, blah, blah, blah. Keep up the good work. A couple of years ago, you mentioned a small news item. A couple of weeks ago, a small news item stating that uh, Edward Snowden used Lava Bit. While you didn't actually say you were skeptical of the news, you sounded skeptical as you described in detail how the email's encrypted at rest, but still unencrypted, server to server. And, of course, we know the NSA is collecting that unencrypted traffic. Since it's encrypted on the server, and if done properly, and it sounds like they are, all the authorities could get with a warrant is a blob of pseudo-random noise, which makes it better than Gmail, at least in that respect. This fits very nicely with a technique I learned about for the first time on your podcast a week or two prior, that of drug dealers sharing a Gmail account, drug dealers and or... Uh-huh. CIA chiefs <laughs> sharing a Gmail account and having emails for each other in the draft folder never leaves the server. Even though the reporter's not willing to put the effort into 
setting up PGP, I'm sure he'd be willing to log into a mail server and look in the drafts folder. Just a thought. Have I missed anything? Does that work? Okay, so there's there's a couple things going on here. Um, the and I wanted to kind of clarify because there was some confusion about LavaBit because it is this all is confusing about like when it's encrypted and when it's not encrypted and, and so forth. So it fooled me. So, I bought a ten year subscription, but go ahead. Yes. So the problem is that the SMTP protocol is not by default encrypted. Later on, the ability to negotiate encryption was added. But, uh, and I guess we do have certificates in the public key system involved there. I was wondering whether you could do a man-in-the-middle attack on that. Well, we know that you could downgrade the negotiation, and that's a problem. Because um, uh, what happens is when the it's in, you initially start your SMT... I'm not doing anything to clarify the confusion here. When you initially start your SMTP negotiation... The server answering essentially declares the things it's capable of doing, one of which is whether it's able to initiate us to upgrade the initial connection to secure. And if so, then the other guy and the other and, and the, the connecting server is also able to, then they'll say, oh, let's switch to secure. The problem is anybody could interfere with that initial unsecure handshake and remove the announcement that security is available at the recipient end. And then because it's so because no security is so widespread, they would have an in the clear communication. So email is just is a fundamental problem. And it's why that with the NSA tapping upstream, for example, of Google, they get all of the Gmail. They may not get it when it comes into Google through a web interface, which is now HTTPS, but they get it the moment it leaves Google. So so that was the reason that I think it was Petraeus, right? Um, and his oh, mistress yeah. yep. were, were they, they didn't let their dialogue ever leave Google. They both connected securely to Gmail and used the drafts folder cleverly in order to exchange mail. And apparently, again, this is one of these things where like well, the bad guys know this and the good guys never really bothered with it. And so we're the ones being having all of our track or all of our traffic captured by the NSA. So so the 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 problem is it's it's nice that LavaBit encrypts the mail that they receive for your pickup. But when, as they're receiving it, it is unencrypted. So it's true that the that they probably cannot decrypt it until you log in to provide the the credentials required to decrypt it, and then you're able to retrieve your email that's in the mailbox. So that aspect is good. The pr- troubling part is. That And the only reason I really brought this up was so people didn't assume it was some sort of panacea that solved email encryption. It isn't because nothing coming into it will be encrypted unless it came from Google, for example, because Google 
does support SMTP encryption, and LavaBit does also. However, among all the major email providers, Google, Yahoo, Microsoft, and I can't think of the third, the fourth one. There were four. Yahoo. Um, uh, oh, hot, well, no, Hotmail's Microsoft. Hotmail, Microsoft. Hotmail Yahoo, Yahoo. Hotmail, Yahoo, Gmail. Oh, and Yahoo, yes. Yeah. Only Google does. So none of the other ones do. And and again, I expect one of the one of the nice things that we we may see come out of this whole Snowden NSA debacle is the providers actually taking efforts, making efforts to be more secure for us. Much as we heard the rumor, it was a piece of news that I think CNET carried last week, that Google was exploring encrypting Google Drive. So it's like, oh, okay. And of course, it will need to be vetted to see whether they've done it in a useful fashion. We know it's possible. So, so it may be that all of this scrutiny that is being put on on the major cloud providers, because encryption is completely possible, they may actually step up and do it, which would end up giving us more security than we had, arguably, before all this leaked. So anyway, LavaBit, nice that it stores it when the data is at rest, but it's unfortunately with email, when it's in motion, it's almost always not encrypted. Really, PGP is the solution, and we're going to talk about that later. We, we're going to be doing a series, actually, on, <laughs> oh, on email encryption. Yes. Yeah. Sammy Flew in London, England, wonders about VPN versus Tor. Well, that's good. I'm glad he brought this up. Yeah. Could you clarify for me? I'm a bit muddy on this. A VPN and Tor, virtual private network, and the Onion router both seem to do the same job. They allow you to anonymously surf the internet. <clears throat> oh, sorry. So what are the differences between them? <laughs> right. So um, the, way to, the way to think of them both, what they have in common, a VPN and the Onion router. I mean, he's, he's right that there's some similarities. In both cases, you use a client on your computer to, to, to securely connect to something else. In the case of a VPN, you connect to one something else, that is the VPN server, and it decrypts your traffic and releases it onto the Internet. And it does so with essentially no performance overhead. That is, it's a, you know, your traffic already would have bounced around a while and then headed off onto the Internet. In this case, it, it goes to the VPN server and then is released on the Internet. The Onion router is very similar in that you, you have, as I said, a client on your machine that encrypts and you connect to the first node of the Onion network. But, but your client determines multiple hops specifically for adding obscurity to, to you. Um, the problem, for example, with a VPN is that if traffic were analyzed coming into the VPN server and out of the VPN server, 
it's possible to correlate that the the public and the private traffic through the tunnel and and use that to break anonymity. Um, and because the data is not encrypted coming into the VPN or leaving the VPN on the public side, you don't have encryption there either. So so what it what it the VPN's use is best for it when you're in a public Wi-Fi hotspot or you want to protect yourself from your ISP. That is you want to you want privacy from your local region. You're in a hotel which has unencrypted Wi-Fi or scary wired, you know, wired network. We've talked in the past about how, you know, a hotel's wired network is very frightening. You your idea is you want to you just don't trust where you are. So this so a VPN gets you to somewhere else and then decrypts your traffic and releases it onto the internet. That's very useful and it's efficient. What people complain about with Tor is that it is slow because the cost of these of, of the of getting of, of obtaining obscurity and more anonymity by hopping all over the place is a real slowdown in the overall throughput. But that's a trade-off that you make. So they're they're certainly similar, but they're different in in what they provide. The the Tor system actively actively fights anyone associating your incoming public traffic to your outgoing private traffic. A VPN server doesn't do that. Its goal is to protect to give you privacy like privacy from where you are so that nobody in your location can eavesdrop on you and and it does so very efficiently. Yeah. Nicely said. Uh, let's see here. Moving on. Question. What happened to my questions? What happened to my questions? Uh, I must have closed them. Sometimes I, I, I get ambitious. Here it is. <laughs> Question three. Leo in Mountain View, not me, has heard that the NSA contributes code to open source software. Recently, I read the NSA openly and officially contributes code to open source uh, software projects like Android and Linux. Do you know and care about the functionality and nature of these contributions? Longtime listener and fan. This is well known, by the way. Yeah, it is. And I used to be a fan of SE Linux. Uh, a little hard to be a fan of that now. Uh, SE Linux is a so-called security-enhanced Linux. And the NSA has very has been very active in in creating a security hardened kernel which provides much greater interapplication isolation than out of the box standard linux and they've they've then moved that over to android and actually you know cuz android is based on linux they have they've taken that technology that inter-application hardening, basically better sandboxing around individual applications and made that available over on the Android platform. Now, it's important to note that the NSA is not just one organization. Well, it is one organization, but not just one... Many missions. Focus. Yes, many, thank you. Perfectly said. Many missions. So there are absolutely different aspects of the NSA... For example, I have a link in the show notes that Leo could bring up. There's a page of this beautiful um, security configuration guide. These guides. are great, and I recommend these. Yes, 
for all different operating systems, Mac and Windows and, you know, all different OSs for things to do to harden your operating system. And, and I mean, like, they even have them for all the different versions of Windows back, back through time and in the future. The things you should do, turn, you know, these are things you turn off and, and what to do to lock down your system. Because, it, you know, this country... The United States, where the NSA is and and cares about, is, you know, largely Windows systems. It's better for the country's security if individual nodes of Windows are each operating more securely. So this is in the national security for the NSA to say, here's how you tighten things down. You bet. Yeah. And I've looked at these. I'm sure you have, too. They're fine. They're great. And in Absolutely. fact, I wouldn't worry about the NSA unless you're accepting binary files from them. That is, you can't look into them. Exactly. And and so, you know, it's so... If they offer an NSA antivirus pre-compiled, you might treat that with some suspicion. Uh, yeah. Is it going to catch the things that they, <laughs> that they don't want? But to on the other hand, open source software, and you can bet that SE Linux is looked at by a lot more eyes than perhaps other open source projects uh you know they, there's no way to do anything in there uh unless un- you know without showing it in the code now my don't my accept recomm- a pre-compiled version compile it yourself my recommendation is to take a a good secure unix or linux and then lock it down yeah you know the, the well, bsd the, the, even better yes i i'm a free bsd user yeah. and and that's you know, and basically, you just don't run anything you don't need. You your firewall has only the rules you require, uh, you know. And 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 the, you know, sort of the there are lots of hardening guides around, and the, I would absolutely draw from the NSAs. Yeah, everything in there is sensible. Uh, question four is Ian W. Ottawa, Ontario, another Canadian. He got your attention, apparently, with the subject line, I think the NSA has GRC's certificate. What? <laughs> How, did you get your certificates from uh, DigiCert? How did you do that? Unless I'm mistaken, they come by email, at least for smaller businesses. So NSA doesn't have to ask for them. They already have them. Uh, and I, am I right? Until a month ago, I would have thought I must be missing something. But this all seems kind of likely now. The good news is no. The only thing that that DigiCert ever receives is our public key, which is what our servers give to anybody who wants it. Including the the NSA. (laughs) Including the NSA. Everybody who connects over port 443 to grc.com, first thing they get is our public key. It's signed by DigiCert, which is why it's worth trusting. So the idea, the way this this works is, I use DigiCert's website, and I give, I post in a secure form my public key, and it doesn't really even need to be secure. But we don't, you know, we want it to be secure. Why not? Uh, we well, actually, so no one can intercept it. Um, I give them my public key. They sign that and email it back, and it absolutely doesn't matter if it's in the clear. My private key never leaves my servers and never has, to my knowledge. And then anytime someone wants to connect, I give them back essentially what I received in the email, my public key signed by DigiCert, which is a reason to trust it. So the system is beautiful as far as it goes. As we've spoken of often, it does have some problems. Um, 
And, you know, many people in the wake of this NSA Snowden business are saying, are we absolutely sure that the NSA doesn't have a, uh, a certificate authority of their own? It's like, uh, no, how could we be, you know, sure? Right. Could be the Hong Kong post office. We don't know. Yeah. Marcus in Calgary is wondering about uh, making his own secure passwords. Uh, I saw somebody suggest that you use a personalized set of rules when making passwords. That way you just have to know the rules and you can uh, figure out what the password was. For example, uh, say I sign up with Amazon and I set up these rules. And, of course, these are just example rules. Take first seven letters from the name of website after the www and before the next dot. If less than seven letters, then just add one, two, three, and so forth. Place a five between each character from step one. Replace all vowels with Fluffy Kitty 27. If there are no vowels, just place Fluffy Kitty 27 at the end. And then add a bang, an exclamation mark, after every lowercase or uppercase F. What do you think? A good way to generate a secure password? Okay. That would be a good way to generate exactly one secure password because the problem is anyone who were to capture that password if amazon.com were to lose control of their database which happens all the time not with amazon but with others un- with not with amazon but it's unfortunately it's all too common they could scrutinize that knowing what domain it yeah, came from it and yeah. reverse engineer your yeah funky little algorithm right that's why i went to all the trouble of developing the off the grid system which i still need to finish the finish it's all done i mean it's all documented we did a podcast on everything i just never took the pages public because i wanted to give it one final reading and solve a couple other uh, and like beef up the faq a little bit further but the whole concept with off the grid was that it was a similarly non- Computer. It was a. It was an experiment. Can I develop a paper-based approach where each website developed each website encodes to something completely unique, so that seeing one of them tells you nothing about any of the others. And so that's you know that's certainly using a pseudo-random sequence and a database gives you that no association between them my system was an was a cryptographic a paper based cryptographic association which was strong strong cryptographically uh, but the problem marcus with your approach is that as we said if you if you saw one or a couple you could figure out what the algorithm was and then guess your password for some other website mm. in order to break in and Just, and that's the weakness yeah you know, it's don't you don't have to stretch too far. <laughs> it's well known uh, how to do this. Get LastPass, which yep. you've vetted, and yep. uh, boy, the more I use it, the more I love it. Uh, same way, it is my go-to solution. Have it generate completely random long passwords. And it remembers them, and let it remember them. You don't have to. I don't know my password for anything anymore no. except LastPass. And that's one where you can make it uh, something that you can generate, and that's what I do. 
Really um, screwball. You know, I'll, I'll use this again as an example because I read it once. I certainly don't use it. But if you go through the last uh, eight presidents, let's say, or make it 16 presidents of the United States, uppercase the Republicans, lowercase the Democrats, and then add a number for the number of years their term stretched. Now, that's a good example of you're going to have a nice long password. And we're going to give you an A in political science if you're even <laughs> able to do that. I could start with Nixon and do that. <laughs> so if you put the number of years of the term, that gives you, I don't know, a 10, 11. It gives you a good, good number of uh, characters. It's not what I use, but that's an example. You're right. You'd have to have, you'd have, to have a good memory for politics. Um, and, then, and then that's the last pass password, which doesn't go out in the public anyway very often, right? Um, you only use it, uh, I guess you would use it when you log into the LastPass website. That would be the only, only place you'd use it in public. Bill in Grand Rapids has a third-party cookie question. Hello, Steve. In the, <laughs> that's how they talk in Michigan, you know. In the first, in the last past few weeks, you've been talking about third-party cookies and why anybody would allow such a thing. Well, here's a reason. I, I do support for a company that collects certain data about users. We're contracted by another company to display that data, the one the stuff we've collected, back to their customers. They want their customers to stay on their website while viewing our data. Hence, their web programmers provide a frame within which we display the person's data. And I frame our web programmers claim they must use third-party cookies in order to maintain that session. Obviously, this has caused many problems with Mac users where third-party cookies are blocked by default and occasionally does with Chrome, IE, and Firefox users where they have chosen to block third-party cookies. My job has been busy showing users how to allow third-party cookies from specific URLs like ours. I heard you made a comment once that third-party cookies were not needed to maintain session. Hey, can you tell me how <laughs> so I can pass this on to the programmers uh, or the programmers at the other end? Okay, so... So there's a so this uh, Bill's company is collecting data about users. In other words, it's tracking them right. of, somehow. And Presu we don't then, we can presume with their permission it's part of the deal. Uh, you know, maybe they're a rating system for podcasts or something like that. Right. Um so so the this other company is has created a frame in their browser page that that allows this bill's company to fill the frame with the data that they've collected um normally what i would say because the way the frame works the, the 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 frame is a url provided by on the web page that refers to a third party server and so the frame has a url that goes and gets the content thing being requested. The nice way to do this would be for the URL to be customized so that, for example, the, the entity displaying the web page knows who this user is, the end user, while looking at the web page. So they use their token for that user and add that to the URL, which they send off to Bill's, data gathering company to identify the user whose information they want to populate. Unfortunately, this doesn't work in this particular case because Bill has an identity for the end user, which is unique to his company 
different as a consequence of cookies, different from what this the the company displaying the page shows. So in this instance, I have to agree with with Bill's web programmers. There is no other way to do this. You absolutely need to you you need the 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 cookie that would be normally used in the first party as data is being collected and gathered to then be used in the third party to display this data in a frame. And so it, th- this particular case, can I, I can't see how you could solve it without third party cookies. It's, it's what you would need them for. And so enabling them selectively uh, is the only, only solution I could suggest. So Bill, if your job is support for telling people how to turn on third party cookies selectively, I think you have a good secure job. <laughs> You're going to be doing that more. <laughs> you'll have you'll be explaining that to people for you'll some time. You'll be explaining to come. that. So there yeah. is a case for uh, third party cookies occasionally being Well, needed. there's there's an instance where someone came up with a way to do it. I mean, Could it's, they do it without an iframe or in another way that well, anyway. No, I can't see how they could because the browser will send that domain's cookie Right. That domain's right. cookie um, to the third party. No, it's just, it's not, if... If, if two, that, if two it, websites want to interoperate in, in a way that keeps track of the session, uh, you're just going to have to do that. Well, no, see, that that's just it. There, you could definitely provide, the, the first party server could provide URLs to the third party Containing unique tokens ah, for the user, saying, "Hey, so this guy is authenticated and giving yeah, me information." Yeah, and, and, here, and here's who he is. Right. So that could definitely work. The, the the trick in this instance is they're wanting to use data collected elsewhere to show in this first party site. That's where the third party ness absolutely has to be present. Yeah. So, yeah, the, in this particular case, I can't see a way around that. The browser, a browser. The right way to do this, party. by the way, would be for the third party to send the information not to the client but to the server of the first party, which would then serve it to the client. In other words, that, instead of having this transaction, this triangular transaction, have a transaction server to server that then delivers the information. And in a the problem batch. is, but the problem is, if you, if the browser is blocking third party cookies, it won't identify its user to that third party server in the first place. No, It'll no, that, say- that transaction would have to be handled by the first party server. So in other words, you could go as a client, as a browser, to the first party server, say, I want to see my information. Instead of doing the iframe is frankly a cheap it really is uh, way to do this. Solution. Better yes. to have the first party server query the second party server, get yes. the information, then display it. It's all first yes. party transaction at that point. They're yes. just saving programming, server side programming by doing an iframe. IFRAM's cheap. Yep. Jesse. And, 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 and not, well, not well regarded because it's a serious. That's why. Too. You, yeah. You've basically opened a window in the browser to a third-party yep. server. Yep. Uh, I wonder with uh, new technologies like REST and so forth, there are ways to do this. Anyway. Moving on, my friends. Jesse in uh, San Francisco says that the newsroom predicted PRISM in season one. Oh, Leo. I remember I, and, this conversation, actually. Oh, gosh. He says, um, like, you, go ahead. 
Do you want me to read the letter? Yeah, read. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) I just get too excited. (laughs) You want to talk about this? He says, like you, Steve, I'm a fan of the newsroom. I was re-watching one of the episodes from the first season. It struck me how Sorkin essentially predicted the NSA surveillance story. His whistleblower leaker, Solomon Hancock, was an NSA IT employee who revealed a secret program called Global Clarity, which intercepts billions and billions of phone calls, emails, and texts each day. This aired in August 2012. I'll play a clip from YouTube in a second. He says, I know Sorkin took some heat for basing that storyline on events from the recent past, making his character seem extra smart with the benefit of hindsight, but hmm, maybe he should be given some credit because he's based his news story on events from the future. <laughs> B.S. No, and, and, Love and the podcast. Is, it is creepy. I want everyone to listen to this. It's just, it's spooky. Yeah. Um, I've opened more. There we go. Let me just... Uh, play a little bit of this you can listen or uh, if you're on video you can watch this is a clip from uh the uh newsroom episode. the newsroom last year wonderful. well before all of this snowden business just so they don't get mad at us a wonderful show oh. that airs on hbo actually i don't like it but uh, many many do like it <laughs> i love it steve loves it the project title is global clarity Global clarity. And it intercepts 1.7 billion phone calls, emails, and texts every day. Legally? By what standard? The law. No. It involves a significant amount of illegal, warrantless wiretapping of American citizens. Just to be... When you say warrantless, are you saying unnecessary? Without or- a warrant, warrantless, we could hunt for terrorists legally. But due to our boss's devotion to global clarity, the NSA has been happily violating the Fourth Amendment, USSID 18, and about a dozen of the NSA's own regulations about spying on Americans. You've got guys listening in on ex-wives, dropping in on calls from soldiers overseas, checking out what movie stars are up to. Why are you whistleblowing? I fought the Soviets. The way that government made their people live their lives was a very good reason to fight them. After 9-11, we started doing the exact same thing. Now, I just want to say, <laughs> he doesn't look at all like Edward Snowden. The, th- the point, and I think a lot of people have made this point, uh, is that this isn't something we didn't really know about. This warrantless wiretapping started under George Bush in 2001. We knew this. And Sorkin's not, you know, prescient. Uh, we just didn't know the uh, scope of it until Snowden yes. came along. Yes. Um, yes, and it's good. It's good that this is getting fleshed out. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. we having. You know, this is going to. You know, this allows our lawmakers to, and the public to say, "Oh, is that what we asked for? Yeah. Maybe it is." But but the question has to be asked. You know, if you just search for warrantless wiretaps, you'll see all the stories from two thousand one about this. Yeah. Andy in Michigan, a man of few words, actually none. <laughs> All he did was send us a link. Uh, free and open source FOSS Skype replacement called Toxim or T O X dot I M. Coming soon. It's not here. Correct. So many people have brought this to my attention. I just wanted to let people know I'm aware of it. It is not yet released. It looks very pretty. They've got some nice screenshots. T-O-X dot I-M. So it's, you know, talks as in T-A-L-K-S, but in this this case, T-O-X dot I-M. And presumably super secure and everything that we want 
Don't know anything about it yet. Open source as well, so uh, yes. you can validate it. So at one point, when it happens, and if it looks like it's a useful thing and it's multi-platform and does what we want, I will certainly tear into it and uh, evaluate its security for all of our listeners. Hmm. Who's, who is doing this? Do they say? They don't. They don't say who they That'll are. Be That'll be important, too. Yeah. Uh, but it is open source, so uh, one hopes that uh, it will be validated, the source will be validated before yeah. we use it. Ben in Australia wondering about PGP and encrypted SMTP. Love the show. Just caught up on episode 413. Heard you mention that Gmail has SMTP encryption. Is this an always-on feature, or... Is there something we need to do? And how can we tell our mail is being encrypted? I assume this is still not a 100% covered solution for keeping your mail private, and other steps should be taken as well. As such, when Leo was talking about PGP, he mentioned there might be a plug-in for Gmail. Yeah, Mailvelope, it's called. Yep. Are you aware of any such plugins to enable GPG and email and Gmail short of installing the desktop app and copy-pasting? I've been looking for such a thing for a long time. Thanks, and keep up the excellent work. Okay, so we need to be a little bit clear about email um, and the protocols and as regards Gmail. Um, I'm talking about SMTP, the Simple Mail Transfer Protocol, which is the, it's the way the servers forward mail to each other and the way our clients forward mail to the server. But getting mail uses the typically pop or uh and i'm drawing a blank on the other IMAP. One. pop imap thank you uh pop or imap so that's used for connecting to the the server's repository for for obtaining mail so a setting a user settable choice in gmail's configuration is to require the Gmail's use of SSL for your POP or your IMAP connections. And all contemporary email clients will allow an SSL connection to the server. So that gives you encryption um, to and from the server. Also, SMTP encryption can, can be requested. So your client can receive encrypted email over SSL, send encrypted email over SMTP in both directions uh, with Gmail's configuration. You have control of that. The, the glitch is when it leaves Google, it's almost never going to be encrypted, nor as it's coming in is it going to be encrypted, which is why the, NA, the, the, the NSA sitting upstream makes so much sense from their standpoint, they can get it all anyway. And and uh, I'm going to be taking a very close look at Mailvelope because Leo's exactly right. That's the one. It's www.mailvelope, M-A-I-L-V-E-L-O-P-E.com. It's a Chrome extension. And Firefox, available for both Chrome and Firefox. Uh, it comes pre-configured for Gmail, Yahoo, Outlook.com, and GMX. Uh, open source, based upon the OpenPGP.js JavaScript library, and is very nice. So, so the idea would be essentially it it creates a minimal enhancement to the 
to those email services giving you uh, PGP uh, encryption. And we'll know more about what that means in the next few weeks because I'm going to be spending the next few weeks plowing into deeply into that. Oh, and also S-MIME, um, S slash M-I-M-E, uh, actually predates PGP, and that's been part of the RFCs for quite a while, and that's secure MIME. It's a, it's a sort of a built-into-the-email standard as opposed to being um, uh, a, 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 a separate add-on to it. But, you know, highly recommend it. Mailvelope is beautiful. Yeah, it's a little ungainly. I mean, it's a lot easier to do this in your desktop email client, uh, but it works. It works. Yep. And it you know what I did is create keys with a open, uh, actually GNU Privacy Guard, yep. and uh, then uh, imported them into Mailvelope, so I can now in Gmail. As long as I'm using a browser with the Mailvelope plugin, I can uh, encrypt and unencrypt. By the way, email. Yeah, what I think we're going to be seeing as I think we'll have because. Encrypted email is always going to be sort of the stepchild. Uh, there will be people with whom you are exchanging data that you want to remain confidential. And it'll make sense for you to go through the trouble of getting your keys exchanged and using PGP where you really want encryption. There is the, the, the upshot of all of what we've been talking about, Gmail and encryption and, you know, and in, you know, mail encrypted on the server versus encrypted in flight, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely the only solution is, is pre-internet encryption, P-I-E, uh, where your data is encrypted before it leaves your computer. Then it doesn't matter whether it's encrypted in flight or in storage in, you know, in, along the way or anything. It absolutely doesn't matter. You encrypt it before it leaves. It isn't decrypted until after it arrives. That's the way to do it, and that's why we'll be talking about it for the next few weeks, all the ins and outs of how to achieve that. Because I think there's probably an, an increased interest in, you know, true email encryption, and we're going we're gonna to go into how it's all done. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. I mean, not for, you know, anybody who listens to this show, it's easy. Yes, Glenn Greenwald put up a fuss because Edward wanted him to do right. that. Yeah. Finally, he did, and then they were able to talk. Yeah, once you set it up, it's kind of straightforward. Yeah. Uh, and then anytime just, somebody uh, ugly. contacts you, well, I'll show you. You know, when I use Apple Mail, it's not ugly. It's mail envelopes a little ugly. <laughs> it's really ugly. Uh, but when you use a, a main, a, um, a, uh, um, desktop mail uh, client that has PGP or Open PGP implemented. It's pretty straightforward. You can also use SMIME certificate-based encryption. Um, that's even maybe even easier. But it's very straightforward. It's very straightforward. Anyway, here's Kevin Graham, our last question of the day. He's in Colorado Springs. He worries about PGP email address harvesting. I'd like to try PGP, but I'm under the impression it's not much good without a way to distribute your public PGP key. It seems to me if you publish your PGP key to any public site, like pgp.mit.edu, that's the MIT key server, then you're asking for spammers and other organizations who collect information to harvest your email address. Should folks avoid the public PGP key directories and only exchange PGP public keys in person? I, I, my intention was to use this as our segue 
to our detailed coverage of PGP next week, where we'll go into all this. If you have an opinion, Leo, I'd love to hear it. But It does. You uh, could harvest the email addresses from that if you wanted to. So that would be certainly a solution. Yeah. And, uh, but, and, I put, and, but really, the value of PGP is putting it on the key servers, in my opinion. Or putting it somewhere where where people putting it somewhere you control where people are able to obtain it from from, from like from something you control for example uh, i could put my pgp key on grc.com yeah. and people who went there grc only allows secure connections the nsa does not have my web server certificates um and so people could get the pgp key absolutely knowing that it was the key I was intending to distribute under my own name on servers I control, and they could get it. And then, as ha as you had mentioned at the top of the show, Leo, you're beginning to have some some test messages back and forth to see that it works. Yeah, I do both. I, I uh, of course, publish my uh, keys on the key servers. Um, that's the easiest way for all of us to kind of share our keys. And it does have an additional feature. People can then sign the key. Uh, if it's not on a key server, public key server, then you can't really uh, sign somebody else's key. And, and this is the one flaw in PGP is that you can generate your own uh, keys. So, you know, I could generate a key that says I'm Steve Gibson, and there's nothing to prevent that. Um, so the key is to see if this key is signed by others who have taken steps to verify it. For instance, people have key signing parties where I show you my driver's license and I say, here's my key. Would you verify this? And you say, yes. I, I checked his license. He really is Leo Laporte, and I signed right. the key. So my key is signed by a lot of people because I have my key ID on my website. So you could be pretty sure that it's, you know, my key. Um, and uh, and that's something you need to do on a public server. On the other hand, just go to my website. You can download the key, install it in your PGP uh, key, key ring, and then you'll be able to send uh, encrypted mail to me and validate when you get email back that it is from me because only I have the private key. Yep. So um, it's easy if you're a public person. <laughs> Steve and I could just say, go to our website. There's our key. <laughs> but for the rest of us, I think it's really probably a good idea to uh, Maybe Facebook page. Everybody has a Facebook page Spam now. shouldn't be a problem anymore, to be honest. The spam filters are so good. I get very little spam. Gmail, if you use Gmail, pretty much kills spam dead. Yeah. There are lots of ways to do it. Uh, my email address. The problem is you, know, you do now you do a very smart thing. You change your e email address regularly. Yep, but my email address has not changed oh. in more than a dozen years, so I'm on every spam email list. It's not like they're going to get anything new <laughs> by searching for my name. So, the other thing it's possible to do, you could also bootstrap. You could you could use a, a distribution name like you know spam me not at gmail dot com. Uh, set up PGP for that, and then over the secure PGP email, you could send someone you care about your actual PGP key. Ah. And so that way you have a you have a public address used for distributing your private address PGP key. Ah. That's clever. Yeah, we'll be There's talking ways about around all kinds. That. We'll be talking about all kinds of neat things the next couple of weeks. Excellent. Excellent. That's uh that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. And you can and use me as finished, a guinea pig. I will have finished the Void Trilogy, and I will be back at work on Spinrite, and I'll have a Spinrite progress report next Wednesday. We'll be sunburned next week. <laughs> you can do another 17-mile walk today? Uh, well, not today, because uh, I did the first uh, the first 10 miles 
uh, was early in the morning because I had gotten myself sunburned Sunday and Monday, so I was avoiding the the midday sun. And then I did. Uh, you should be I reading the these at night. I did that. Well, there's not enough time. I need all day, Leo. These things are huge. No, that's all I do. I wake up oh, I and I start it. reading. I'm reading while I'm having breakfast. I'm reading all wow. day long. That's a yeah. great way to do it because you are then really in. Oh, baby, in, I in the world, like immersed. Yep. yep. I mean, I'm I'm like exclaiming out loud, and people are looking at me when I'm walking. It's like, well, okay, it's it's a good book. Yeah. You don't walk into trees, do you? No, I. Th- there are paths. I have paths. I have I have my own sylphen paths. <laughs> Doesn't it make you wish there were sylphin pads? Oh, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Steve Gibson, when he is not busy reading, is writing things like GRC's amazing Spinrite. You can get that at grc.com, the world's best hard drive maintenance utility. Not free. That's his bread and butter, but he does have lots of freebies, too, at grc.com. All sorts of information about security, passwords, and more. And, and, this, and this podcast. This podcast is there. Uh, as some specials on uh, uh, no carb and low carb of uh, eating, which uh, has been really amazing for so many of our listeners. Oh, so many people come yes. in here almost every week and say, "I lost fifty pounds." I know. Uh, I know. Somebody came in on Sunday and said, "I lost fifty pounds thanks to Steve." Uh, you're saving lives, dude. Uh, all of that's at grc.com. But yes, as Steve said, he also has sixteen kilobit audio, the crappiest sound and audio you ever heard. But it's small. And Elaine loves it because her satellite is is able to it's download it for the bandwidth impaired. And then Elaine types it all in. A human being, Elaine Ferris, actually writes a transcript. So that's probably the most compact way. But you, then you miss the the nuance. Yeah, you so miss both accents. <laughs> you miss my my funny voices. Uh, that's at grc.com. You can also ask him questions. We do Q and A episodes every other episode usually. Uh, grc.com slash feedback. Do not email Steve. He does not do email. GRC.com slash feedback is a form where you can fill that out. Uh, we have high-quality audio that you could listen to if you've got enough bandwidth. And even video, if you really, if you got more bandwidth than God, you could just download beautiful, high-def versions of this. Watch Steve's sun-tanned face express emote. Every once in a while, his hands come into the picture and they get big. It's really fun. <laughs> He's doing it right now. <laughs> GRC.com. Uh, twit.tv is our site. Twit.tv slash SN for the Security Now show. All 415 episodes there. Twit.tv slash SN. Actually, a little hint. Uh, you could page back through all the episodes. But if you just append the episode number, you'll get the episode you're looking for. So, as an example, twit.tv slash SN414 will give you the 414th episode. goes all the way back to, I think we have episode one. Somebody, I think maybe not, but we go back to like starting episode two or three that that works. Uh, and uh, what else? Oh, yeah, we uh, we are available for subscription at, at wherever you can subscribe to uh, internet broadcasts. And uh, that's the best way to get it so you don't miss an episode. I know a lot of schools are using uh, this show. Um, uh, for curricula, uh, they're they're you know actually yeah. teaching kids about security and stuff from these shows. It's really great. Thank we thank you for doing that, and we thank you, Steve, for doing it. And I will see you next week on Security Now. Okay, my friend, thanks so much. Happy reading. Security.